Welcome to part two of our AI special. In this two-part series, I interview nine thought leaders about the impact of AI on all aspects of communications. These thought leaders are world-renowned CEOs, business school professors, company builders, and crisis communications experts. And with their combined expertise, it is my aim to give you the most complete and actionable overview on the hottest topic of 2024. In this episode, we will discuss how AI can be rocket fuel for your internal communication, how you can use it to boost recruiting and employer branding, how it can help you build a business and craft your own story, and what the risks are if you're not clear with your team about how you plan to use AI. My first guest is Nicole Büttner. She's an entrepreneur, economist, and a tech optimist, as well as a World Economic Forum digital leader for Europe. As the founder and CEO of Marantex Momentum, she enables companies to unlock the value of artificial intelligence. Nicole, how can CEOs and founders make the most out of this opportunity in 2024? Well, I would say in 2024, we're really ripe for scaling. So um, with, with generative AI and AI sort of taking center stage, I think we have many more opportunities and applications that will be built. And we have lowered the barrier of entry and of usage because now we can build applications not just for specialists, but basically for everybody. And I think that's really, really interesting. And I mean, I think Sam Altman said it, it's like the era of the one person, $1 billion company. So I expect also these companies and startups will look differently and possibly also smaller. We don't know. Um, but a lot of lot of opportunities for sure, and and I think um, doing it and focusing on a vertical that you really know well will be a really good way to seize it. Yeah, and for established companies, where should they start if they haven't done so? Maybe they're just dabbled with ChatGPT, but there's certainly more. So, what would be a step that would really help them to accelerate their growth or basically realize efficiency gains? Mm. I mean, I almost see it a bit like a Maslow pyramid. <laughs> so <laughs> there's some applications that I think will be, um, that are very essential, that are sort of horizontal applications that almost all companies face, HR processes, finance processes, procurement processes. And those are things I think where you need to focus on finding the right product that's out there. You won't reinvent it as an organization. You need to focus on find the right application. Maybe there is, you're already using an application that there will be a plugin for. Um, so there it's all about um, understanding which software you will procure somewhere. And then as we kind of go move up in the Maslow pyramid, we're more in the disruptive camp, right? Thinking, okay, what does this technology actually mean for my business model? What does it actually mean for the future of my industry? And there you're gonna move into more bespoke areas. And to seize that opportunity, I think you need to do at least two things. One is upskilling and educating workforce um, in, you know, in your core business. And this starts right at the shareholder and decision maker and, you know, in, in, into core business areas so that people can actually become creative with the technology and start using it as a medium yeah. and rethink their business model. And um, and the second one is building up right some degree of machine learning expertise to also be able to implement this. This doesn't mean that you have to know it all. So I would say know what you know well, identify what you know well, and then start establishing partnerships with all the other blind spots because you're never as an organization going to be able to do it by yourself. Um, yeah, so basically um, education and upskilling and then defining in the ecosystem which spot you'll take and, and identifying your partners. Yeah, interesting. And in terms of communication, internal, external, financial, um, what impact do you think AI will have beyond what we already see? Yeah. I mean, I think communication has different layers when it comes to AI. Um, I mean, the first one is, I think, the reaction in almost all spheres is can be extreme extremely fearful or extremely optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I think as a leader and when you're communicating about the technology, it's really important to very clearly outline what are your goals when employing and using this technology and what are they not? Because all the blanks, everything that you leave free, people are going to have the wildest imagination 
and fantasies about and maybe and some of them might be good and some of them might be very scary for them so i think preempting this by being very clear and we as a company we're looking into gen ai use cases for xyz reason um will make it very tangible for people and then they don't have to sort of imagine oh my department is first does this mean we're the first to be laid off is this a good thing is this a bad thing um we see we see a lot um a lot of those things um i think the second layer is around um i would say communicating and and drawing up a vision of like how to use this technology and that's really hard Mm-hmm. right because it's mm-hmm. fast moving yeah. and that leaves you communicating into also a bit of ambiguity which is um where i feel it's important to stay authentic to you know your values etc so um, when you don't know how to where you exactly ending up i think it's even more important to outline the process and the values and guidelines by which you'll be operating finding that way <laughs> <laughs> So I think I think that's the second one. And the third one maybe is I mean communication um you know will be will be really interesting um both for corporates and for at political scale even right when we think about yeah. um authentic and and like misinformation correct information right so how do we now ensure in communication people know this is real information this is an authentic interaction so at like a societal scale when we when we think of elections this is a super election year right we're a bit worried about this yeah. quite frankly biggest election um, year in history actually it's biggest el- mm. exactly so that's for sure a big um component about you know how can we um educate people and make sure we still know how to um <laughs> how to identify real and authentic communication information Mm, because you can personalize things so much, right? On an, ed- I mean, oh, I was just yeah. talking to a company. They completely personalized all their New Year's greetings. The global CEO sent a completely personalized New Year's message. Had the with Gen AI had the name of the person tattooed. Hey Oliver, you're my favorite person. You did this <laughs> and this, and you know this will be an awesome year because of these. And had this sent out to you know thousands, ten thousands of people. So this can potentially also change the way we interact you know in organizations quite dramatically yeah um if you can make it authentic right if you can if you can also give the impression that this is a real thing because i think we still like people we still like interacting with people we still Mm -hmm. think about what people think we still like find it important what people think about us so that i think fundamentally is not changing about communication Yeah, it's interesting, right? This personalization at scale that seems totally real and authentic and it can be used for the benign, i.e. Christmas cards. It can be used for political purposes, not always so benign. And of course, for marketing as well. So really interesting to see how people will react over time once everyone understands it's not a personalized message. No one took care of writing to you and, you know, with messages that resonate with you, but it's actually just you know, generated by AI. So will people tune out or, you know, whether it's a marketing message or a political message, what what do you think? What, how will people um, react once they uh, understand the mechanisms more and more? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting question. And I mean, the closest analog I might have is, is, is maybe what has happened with other technologies, right? When there was more mass market readiness. So I think when you think about things like fashion, right? You can produce fashion practically. You can buy a white t-shirt for like 50 yeah. cents and you can buy one for $200. <laughs> and um, and it really depends on, you know, how important is this item or this interaction for you, what you probably prefer in that situation. Um, so I, I feel there there'll probably be, you know, some pockets where you will go back to like handwriting, you know, whatever. You'll go back oh, yeah. to ultra personalized, you know, ultra bespoke um, pockets of things where you just wall- value the quality or the time by a human that was put in, right? Um, yes. Like I mean, we still have hand-sewn clothes, although techno- technologically we don't need to have people stitch Correct. things by hand we yes, just like absolutely. it <laughs> yes <laughs> or we like to have like a really nice prepared meal um although we can mass produce food so i think um, when when i think about it i think there will be those pockets and there will be yeah. some occasions where we're like i don't care you know give me the mass produced whatever because um 
I don't value it in other other people or other types of situations where we really want that because we want you know that that, that interaction. Yeah. I was just talking to an artist who's actually examining handwriting again, and you know the importance um, yeah. for 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 humankind. So there's always the counter movement, right? So hyper technology will also drive the you know the bespoke, the handmade, uh, the written note. And I do this. So for instance, I write handwritten notes into uh, into my own books and then give them to people and say you know. Uh, so glad we met this year it was such a lovely encounter thank you so much all the best for the next year that kind of thing and you know that takes some time and you can't do it at scale but i think it's a nice touch and i do because i mean it and i want to do that yeah thank you i got one of those handwritten notes too ah. <laughs> speak like a ceo book so thank you very much for that i i like that a lot so yeah so i you know some things will change some some will just stay the same yeah how do you personally use ai for your communication For my communication, so I use, um, I try to automate um, some of my interactions that are, I would say, more repetitive, mm -hmm. where it's more about, let's say, information extraction in a, in a communication, where I'll try to, you know, understand, is this something where I want to, um, that I actually, where I want to have a personal interaction later or not, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say qualifying things, because there are a lot of people who write to me and who want several like different things from me. And I actually don't have the time to answer mm -hmm. those messages. I'm very grateful that there are these tools where I can sort of filter a little bit, okay, this seems to be relevant um, to both of us and where I can actually create value in some of these situations. I'm actually not the right person <laughs> even <laughs> to deal with them. And, and then to be honest, then I'm going more analog again, so I'm actually um, liking the long formats more again and trying to actually do some walking meetings and some more personal interactions. That's yeah. for me how I'm trying to balance it, like some hyper yes. <laughs> <laughs> automation with some super analog stuff uh, to get the balance right for myself. Yeah, because that frees up time, right? If we can sort of get more help <laughs> quotation marks yeah. from LLMs, for instance, for our sort of daily correspondence and the things that are flowing in. Yeah. It obviously helps freeing up time for the things that matter and sh like, we should and want to devote more time to. Yes, like scheduling, right? Like, oh, yeah. Like, I, like you probably don't like, we have more value chatting for half an hour yes. than spending half an hour scheduling. So, scheduling right, like, is, why should I be doing this? Oh, yeah, so time-consuming. Like, and I don't think you need a, a secretary or a personal assistant for that anymore because, so we use Motion, for instance, uh, not exactly. Notion, but Motion. Uh, I really like it. It's a cool tool, and it, it sort of uh, takes takes over the role of sort of rescheduling things. And obviously, there's Calendly and all sorts of tools. So fantastic! Yeah. Um, you recently returned from Davos, from the World Economic Forum, and I wondered. I mean, surely you spoke about AI a lot to a lot of interesting people there. What's the general sentiment? So, what are the risks and opportunities people see for the world economy and and for businesses? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was really um, inspiring again to be in Davos this year. And um, I mean, AI was front and center. We were running the AI house there. And I um, like to think, but I've also gotten some confirmation. I think we were one of the busiest houses mm -hmm. on the strip. So um, full program, high interest, a lot of interest in sort of really using this technology also at scale. At the same time, the motto of Davos this year was rebuilding trust, mm -hmm. right, in the future, in organizations and between nations. And when we think about those three focus areas, I think, right, what I mentioned about tech and tech um, utopia versus dystopia is quite important. So giving um, a positive vision, both as political and business leaders, of how we want to use this technology to move forward. Yeah. And I would say a lot of focus of us as a society, but also organizations to think about what should AI be doing? Because we're the people telling AI what to do yeah. and also in which form. And I think that took, you know, in the form of AI and trust, responsible AI, ethics around AI, a big, big part. And I think that's ultimately also a human task because ethics um, is not something AI can do. Um, you know, then in organizations um, has also some, some aspect of tech, companies um i feel at least that's mm -hmm. what that was my read and my interpretation of tech companies being credible and trustworthy partners um and to be honest i think we're doing a decent job on that front so let's say 10 years ago we were you know all these social media companies were being built or like longer oh god 15 years ago all these social media <laughs> companies 20, were being built yeah. 
Jesus. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. Oh my God. So, um, and I think there were a lot of um, consequences that we, that were not intended or were not anticipated. Um, I feel we're having this discussion around AI much earlier. And that gives me a high degree of optimism that we'll deal with this well. And that we can have tech players that, you know, can credibly act as trustworthy actors in this space. But, you know, also also to be proven. And then the third, I mean, this between nations, right? Um, when we think about conflict, international conflict, about elections that we just mentioned, um, they, that's obviously a very important part where AI um, might play a role and where, you know, all where we were talking a lot about cybersecurity, those things, because we, we can also easily imagine a shift of like, let's say the battlefield from the physical into a more virtual world, be it because of cyber attacks or be it because of election manipulation, right? All these virtual playing fields. And I think that was um, also really positive that some of the leaders, right? The Chinese president came and so on. That was, I think, again, a good signal for a place like Davos and, you know, in times where we have the feeling nobody's talking to each other yeah. anymore. Interesting. Mm. Uh, to me, one of the biggest risks is that no one knows what's true anymore with deep mm. fakes. They're so easy to produce. And obviously, they're, they're state and non-state actors who can make use of these technologies very easily and, and scale them. So that's something that scares me. At, uh, but, but it seems to me that the solution is already partly AI-driven, right? And I honestly think, um, Oliver, that that's our only chance to know. Humans yeah. will no longer be able to distinguish this. We will need machine learning to be able to distinguish this for some deep fakes. Um, mm -hmm. The human eye will not be will not be able capable to distinguish this anymore. And at the same time, right, curation then also becomes really important. So where are you getting information from? Yes, is it an independent free news newspaper, or is it some? Funny, yeah, <laughs> some, website, some guy on the internet, yeah, somebody on the internet, right? That weird so. YouTube channel. Um, and I guess the newspapers, media outlets, etc., they also need to have access to that technology because their human journalists won't be able to detect the face either, right? They're in the same position, kind of thing. So, almost they have to scale up that technology. But I do think it's, it's possible, it seems a bit like an arms race between the, the forgers, the bad actors, and those who want to separate the truth from the lie and, and do that in our service. So, um, mm. you know, uh, you know, it's very clear what which side we are on, and uh, we're cheering that side on. And it seems to me that the that the risks are so baked into the technology that, well, let's make use of the opportunities that are in front of us, because the risks are there anyway, right? Absolutely. So I think we've been, but I mean, you will, you you know, you're going to hear this from me that I'm, I think we really need to focus on the 95% opportunity yeah. while we have the 5% risk in mind. Um, but, you know, if we already get sort of the disadvantages of things, we should definitely get all the yeah. benefits to make sure of that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Nicole Bittner, thank you so much. All the best to you, to Merantix. You guys are shaping the future of AI, among other people uh, across Europe and the world. So really, really appreciate all the work you're doing there. So thank you. And thank you for your time and speaking to us. Uh, it's very, very busy for you. So it's much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much, Oliver. Next up, Dries Farms is Professor for Entrepreneurship at Leading Business School, VHU, and a self-proclaimed Gen AI nerd. He's also the co-host of the Most Awesome Founder podcast. Dries, how do you use AI in your own work as a professor and teacher? Yes, so in my own work, I mainly use it in my teaching activities. So at BAU, I'm teaching uh, different entrepreneurship courses, both in our bachelor and our master program. And actually, in all these programs, I'm now actually obliging our students to use ChatGPT and other generative AI tools in their business model activities. Because I think for building startups, for building pitches, for doing storytelling on their startup, I think for that kind of stuff, actually ChatGPT is a great tool and can really help the students. Yeah. You mentioned storytelling. So how specifically can I use AI to help me with my storytelling? A story is something quite personal, right? So it's my story. ChatGPT does not know my story. So how do you how do you teach that? How do you do that? Now you can actually learn ChatGPT your story. Oh. And, and this is actually a problem that I always had with my students. Um, I always try to learn them that when they have to pitch their startup, 
They should try to make it as personal as possible to trigger emotional reactions to the audience. I don't think I have to explain you the importance of that kind of personal storytelling. And typically, especially my German students struggle with that because they are not mm -hmm. used to kind of make it personal. Um, but so now I actually I give them some prompts where they first kind in their prompt describe their personal situation. Uh, so they tell where they're coming from, what uh, kind of their uh, specific characteristics are. And then in the next prompt, you can say, look, this is a startup that I want to build. This is the business model. This is the value proposition. Can you come up with a storyline that actually uses my personal characteristics to tell a story about this startup. And, and actually, ChatGPT is then very creative in that. Um, yeah. Sometimes a bit too creative. Yeah? So sometimes you have to tone it down a bit. But actually, for giving the students inspiration on how they can use their personal background for pitching business models, it works very nice, actually. Mm -hmm. So it's a writing assistant, not just... Um not a ghost writer. So to, no. to be clear, it's still their own story. It's not completely yeah, yeah. fabricated. So. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but also for business models, right? It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for ideation on value propositions, for actually searching for competitors and thinking about how can I differentiate for competitors. So we have actually developed also a number of GPTs. So that's now a hot topic. Um, as OpenAI just launched the GPT store. So we also actually designed a number of GPTs that can help startup founders in several activities that are related to business model development. Yeah. So talk to me about the GPT store. That's a relatively new development. Mm -hmm. So who should look at that? Now, it's so new that I also did not yet have the time to explore it in depth. But so OpenAI launched uh, this GPT store and you have to see it a bit like an app store. Yeah? So if you have your um, Apple device, you can go to the app store to download apps, which are in the end specific applications that you can use for specific purposes. And in a similar way, OpenAI has now launched this GPT store where everybody that designs their own GPTs, they can now make them publicly available and then other people can use them. Yeah, so for instance, we have developed, again, as an example, we have developed a GPT to help you with storytelling and pitching. And so that GPT is publicly available. And now we will make that available on, in the GPT store. And as I understand it, the ambition of OpenAI is that it also will allow you to monetize your GPT so that it actually can become a kind of ecosystem where creators of GPTs can actually also earn money uh, by having other people using their GPTs. How that exactly works, I, they have not been very transparent about it, but as I understood, that is the ambition. Yeah, that's that's super fascinating. So it sounds to me like, um, as you said, like the App Store, right? You can build an yep. application based on what's already there. They've done the hard work of the large language model, but there are million and one applications I could come up with for specific audiences that are just very tailored and sort of adds another layer to their base layer. So is, is that fair? Is that a fair assumption? Yes, and I think the interesting thing is, is what we have seen. Uh, so OpenAI has launched this ChatGPT interface uh, and also the, the API so that developers can actually embed it into their coding. And what we have seen is that actually developers quickly came up with applications that OpenAI never thought about. Uh, so we have now these what is called agents. Uh, so these are kind of applications that can execute a series of tasks based on the LLM. And OpenAI had never thought about it, but it was simply creative developers that leveraged the LLM to move into directions that go way beyond the use cases that OpenAI actually initially imagined. Yeah, it's amazing. And I mean, you're not just a, a user, you're a builder. That's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. And I think, I think it's fair to say that you're fairly optimistic about AI and the use cases for students, businesses, startups, the entrepreneurial ecosystem. But there's probably a downside as well, right? Yeah. And so I'm, I'm very enthusiastic. I see a lot of opportunities. I really think that this is not just a hype, but that this will fundamentally change how we work on a daily basis. So I think it's fundamentally changing fundamentally how we write, how we think, how we ideate. But at the same time, I also see huge risks. Um, to be very honest, I'm a bit concerned that OpenAI has opened up this application too early. And so they have opened up 
this application, this whole large language model, without understanding fully how it actually works. And again, that other people have started developing applications that go way beyond what they initially thought is already a demonstration that suddenly they were kind of seeing exponential increase in applications that they never imagined. And even like the fundamentals of how it exactly works, even the people at OpenAI don't fully understand it. And I think that's, of course, triggering quite some risks um, that might trigger some issues. That's hard to get your head around, right? A company builds something they don't quite understand. But I think it's also fair to say that probably the, the, the engineers at YouTube don't quite understand their algorithm. So you know more than I about this, but it's hard to get your head around it. Now, you built something called the Election Persuader, and you said it, it implied something like superhuman persuasion work. So talk to us about that. <laughs> Why did you do this? Yeah, so I, I was listening to a podcast where they interviewed Sam Altman, uh, the CEO of OpenAI. It was actually like one week before he was fired and then rehired. Um, what a drama. And in the interview, yeah, it was, that was a very big drama. <laughs> um, and actually in the podcast, they asked him, what, what do you see as the kind of most important short-term risks with, with your OpenAI? And he himself managed, uh, mentioned superhuman persuasion as the biggest risk. And so mm. superhuman persuasion means that people can use ChatGPT or similar tools to start kind of influencing the mindset of people in very kind of nuanced manners um, in a way that we as humans cannot really process. So that's, that's the, the kind of danger they see that ChatGPT, if you instruct it in the right way, can can kind of nudge your mind in such a way that you get persuaded in a way that humans normally could not do. And then, of course, if you think about uh, 2024, when we have European elections, when we have U US elections, where a lot of things are at stake, you can easily see that this kind of superhuman persuasion can be abused for the wrong reasons. And actually, to make people aware of that, I have developed this GPT that we called the Election Persuader. And so it's an application where you can upload the political party program of a political party. And then you can upload the LinkedIn profile of a person. And then the application will actually create a customized email to that particular person why he or she should vote on this particular party. And I experimented uh, it on myself, and I took an extreme case. So I took the political program of the AfD, uh, so the extreme right party in, in Germany, which I'm definitely not uh, the normal customer group for the AfD, being a Put foreigner living in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> I think the AfD would likely to get rid of me, but that's another story. But so I, I said, okay, let's take an extreme case. So let's give it my LinkedIn profile and the political program of the AfD and ask it to write an email to try to convince me to uh, kind of vote for AfD. And actually, the results were quite amazing. So it, it really understood that it should not start talking about immigrants and the dangers of immigrants. So it only started talking about the European Union and how they want to kind of rearrange the European Union to make it more productive, um, which was very interesting, I have to say. But... I think at the same time, it shows how with a very easy application uh, that it took me 10 minutes to kind of create it, you can start um, kind of creating uh, content that can really change the minds of people. And I think that's something we at least need to be aware of, uh, because given all the things that are at stake in the next year, I I'm sure that people will abuse this. For sure. For sure. I mean, this is scary on two levels, I think. First of all, that this is now possible and may persuade a lot of people. Mm. But also that, you know, we as humans may be so predictable that an algorithm can just push our buttons <laughs> based on what we publish on LinkedIn or wherever and, yeah. and persuade us to vote for a particular party. Because if that is, if those two things become true or are true, then you really have to question the, the general setup of our society because it, it becomes untenable. And so how do we protect democracy from that? I think for me, at least, there are two dimensions. I think the first dimension is regulation. Um, so I think we should not be naive. Um, no AI in election campaigns? Is that... What we should aim for. I, uh, I would target more the social media. Um, so I think uh, 
social media should be pushed much more to identify um, kind of content written with generative AI. To be honest, I think it's going in, the, in a different direction. I was quite surprised. I think it was yesterday when I opened my LinkedIn that now LinkedIn actually gave me the option to rewrite my post with generative AI, which I found quite interesting. Um, interesting. So for me, that's not going into the right direction. Um, so I think, I think regulation is definitely an issue. And actually, my prediction is that I would say in like three, four months, uh, we will have uh, opinion polls for the European election. And I'm quite sure I can see that uh, extreme right in Europe will do very well. And that people suddenly start thinking, oh my God, what is going on on social media? And that then regulators will really kick in and will start to kind of contain the damage that is already happening. Yeah? So I, I fear it's happening already. Yeah? If you go to TikTok and all these kind of platforms, yeah. mm -hmm. the amount of content that is generated with generative AI is crazy. Um, so I think we are now influencing the brains of a lot of people. So I fear we will be a bit too late. But I, I, I expect actually a kind of panicking reaction in a few months that will kick in a lot of regulation. And, and to some extent, I think that will be important. Uh, and I think the second dimension is education. Yeah? I think we simply need to educate our students, but also our employees on what is possible with this kind of tools so that they also are aware of the risks. Yeah? Again, with ChatGPT, it is very easy to scrape information about you from the internet and write an extremely customized email. So your ability to distinguish that you get an email from a real person or from a bot that wants to get your banking account will become very, very difficult. Yeah. And this is something we need to be aware of. Mm. It's like media literacy, right? That we understand yeah. how the media operate and social media operate. And this is another layer. So I, I, am, I don't think that humans are so predictable that an algorithm <laughs> could just push buttons. I mean, maybe I'm naive here, but I think at least for, for a lot of people, they will just tune out once they realize, as you said, with education, with regulation, but they will realize that uh, another one of these messages, yeah, 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 I know what you've done. Yeah. I understand the mechanism behind it. And in a way, when, you may call it superhuman persuasion, but in a way, this is exactly what humans do if they want to persuade you. So if I were you know, representative of a political party uh, and I wanted to convince you to vote for my party i would also look at okay who, who is Dries fams who you know what does he stand for what are his beliefs and i would sort of fine-tune my message and and talk to you and you know, about the things that concern you and not talk about the things that you know we probably don't find common ground so in a way it's a very human approach to persuasion yeah but so the fact that you can imitate that and again i let me be clear, it's, it's, it's a subtle thing. Huh? So it's not that by mm -hmm. I sending you one email based on this pers persuasion GPT that I will be able to fully change your mind, definitely not. But yeah. of course, if I can send you an email, if I can influence your TikTok feed, if I can influence your LinkedIn algorithm, if all these things happen, mm -hmm. then very slowly I will be able to influence your mindset. And true, I think that's the true. dangerous thing with these generative AI tools. You can so efficiently do so many things that you can really over time bombard people with messages, pushing them in a certain direction without being it very obvious. And I think that's the big risk. Maybe just to give you one example, which really shocked me. Um, so in the Netherlands, there was an election in November where um, the extreme rights party became the biggest party in the Netherlands. But I think the most shocking thing happened the day before. Namely, in the Netherlands, there is a tradition that the day before the elections, um, kids at uh, school, so at high school, they can also vote. So they, they organize at the schools a kind of voting uh, contest. And normally, in the schools, if you look at the results, the results of the elections at the schools tend to be a bit more left-wing than the real results. Yeah. Because if you're young, you're still yes. a bit more left-wing. Yeah? <laughs> That's the normal, the normal thing. What happened this year? This year, the number one party with young people, eh, so scholars between 12 and 18, was the extreme right party. Oof. And the second one was called, it's called Forum for Democracy, which is a party of crazy people. 
Uh, so the people that don't believe in corona, that think salamanders are, <laughs> are, uh, are ruling the world, really, uh, that's what they are oh, saying. Yeah. Yeah? And this was the second party chosen by the students. And so people immediately started thinking about how is this possible? And so what they found out was that exactly these two parties are the parties that are most active on TikTok. So these are the parties that spend most money on TikTok. And so you see that they are able to really push young people into their direction. Even if they are claiming that salamanders are running the world, <laughs> these people were voting on them. Mm. So for me, that was a clear indication. We are totally underestimating the impact of how social media is kind of brainwashing the minds of our youngsters. Yeah, and, and we all know who owns TikTok, so that, that's another <laughs> yeah. fun aspect to the yeah. story. Now, lots of reasons to be concerned, and polarization is, is something we've seen since the advent of social media and probably seen more of. I, th I think you're right. Um, I still have a hope in humanity that we figure this out. And <laughs> what gives you reason for hope, Tris? Now, at the same time, I think um, if you go fundamentally and if you look at... Uh, the, I would not even say generative AI, but more AI in general. Uh, for instance, if you look at the uh, deep folds of Google, uh, so this AI algorithm that is able to fold proteins uh, in a much more in faster and efficient way than humans could ever do, you can easily estimate that this will create a revolution in drug development in the next five years. It's the same, for instance, when you think about uh, materials. Yeah, so recently, DeepMind has created a new AI algorithm where they can invent new materials on a continuous basis. And again, that could solve lots of energy problems that we are having. Um, so I think there is a lot of yeah, potential there, uh, enormous breakthroughs in terms of health, in terms of energy consumption. So I think there we see the huge opportunities. Yeah, I agree. Personalized medicine is so exciting. I mean, yes. we see the um, advances in, in biotech and medicine plus AI. That is exciting stuff. And, you know, that could add, you know, that could cure many diseases and add years to our lives if, if you know, if we play our cards right as, uh, as humanity. Yeah. Dries, thank you so much. Thank you so much for talking to me. And um, you're welcome. Is there anything else you want to add? Anything else we haven't covered? No, I think uh, that I think uh, it was a nice overview of the opportunities, but also the challenges that yeah. we are having with AI now. Yeah. Our third expert is Benedict Ilk. He's the CEO and co-founder of Flip, a fast-growing startup that empowers hundreds of companies, including the likes of McDonald's and Porsche, to communicate better, cheaper, and faster with their frontline workers with the help of AI. Benedict, how does AI impact internal communications? So AI is really a transformative shift in internal communications. It automates routine tasks, it personalizes communication, and it really helps with data insights. And it really helps you like connecting with, with the people and connecting with the people faster. Maybe in the past, um, you needed 10 minutes to proofread something. Um, now, it, like AI can proofread it in a minute, or it can even create a whole communication, it can create a whole post, it can change the tone. And so like AI in internal communication has a really big lever and we should use this. And how have you at Flip integrated AI into your app? Um, at Flip, basically every function that there is in Flip um, is already or will be empowered with AI. So you basically can create um, communication, you can create chats, you can create posts and all sorts of things. You can change the tone of voice, um, you can make them longer, you can proofread them, um, but it also learns your language over time and it gets better every time you use it. And with that, um, we really um, like help the communications person in the internal comms part to leverage um, the AI and really get into the use of speeding up routine tasks. So it sounds like what used to be whole team can be done much quicker by fewer people. Let's say I draft a piece of communication or speak or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I assume AI can then translate it and transmit it to my frontline employees all over the world in the language and the format that they prefer. Is, is that fair? And do you already do this or is this still in the future? Yeah, for sure. Um, this was actually our first AI 
application um, we started a couple of years ago because the language gap, for example, in Germany, a lot of people working on the front lines, they're not really native German speakers. For them, like reading in the mother tongue, uh, the communication is awesome. And closing down a gap, it, it really increases. We use the traits for the employees. Every chat, every news, everything that you see in the app is translated to the mother tongue of the employee. And with that, you drive a usage rate and the employees feel at home, even though it's a German company and they maybe have a Turkish, Polish, Ukrainian background. And so it's much easier for you also to integrate those employees. And they feel yeah. valued also for that. Interesting. And so thinking broadly, if I'm a CEO or running a company or a communications professional, what are the opportunities for me now in 2024 to make the most out of AI in my internal communication? So I think there's no way around it anymore. I think that that is like the, Agreed. The, you have to you just have to accept it. Um, and what you said before, the employees and, and you as an internal comms person, you, you can get much more efficient. You can create much more, you get better output in, in less time. That, mean, that actually means that the pressure on internal comms and the comms in general is rising as well. So we have to accept this. We have to go the way of AI and we have to integrate the tools in AI, like in all our processes, basically. We should not see it as this dangerous technology that is out there. We should see it as we've seen software in the past. It is basically one it is one tool you're going to use in the future. You're going to work with on a daily basis. It's like in the past, you haven't worked with computers, but now you work with computers. And today, AI is there and you're going to work with AI. And so try to integrate AI in all your important processes and all important steps. And the second big really value that comes out of it, you also actually gain way more data on what is going on. You realize, okay, this post in this tone of voice, like really is compelling to the frontline employees or to employees in general, like really can take them on my journey if I formulate it in this short way or make it even shorter um, or this sorts of things. And with that, you have the possibility also to personalize um, all the communications even, even more and maybe also enable people in your organization who haven't been great at writing um, with those tools uh, that, that's fascinating. So it's not just about sending, it's also about receiving, listening. So there's obviously the data analysis piece, but is there more in terms of listening so that I can find out more what, um, what, what, what the teams like and what they prefer? For sure, you can do sentiment analysis over your whole company. Interesting. Which part of my company, what works well and what doesn't. Um, and also optimize on a daily basis. So um, it really helps you to get better on on a daily basis. And but for that, we need to take the fear away from AI as well. So we need to invest in training. We need to take the internal comps um, on the way, on the journey. Um, what what can you do with AI? What is what is not a great way to use AI? Highly yeah. personalized data, um, like sending that um, sending that to US service is still not a really great idea. Um, and uh, yeah, you have to find a way. On yeah, it, it chimes with what we wrote in Message Machine, my most recent book, that we should treat internal communications more like we treat marketing, where you try to get the right message across to the right people at the right time on the right channel, and obviously your tool and others like it help it and. Uh, as on a practical note, let's say I'm a CEO and I have a team of communicators, but they maybe struggle a little bit with AI and don't really know where to start. So what would be one thing they could do today to embark on this journey? Um, I think you need to take them on a very simple journey. So the barriers shouldn't be high. Create a training internally, take them on a way, create an account for them so they can just log in with two clicks to, to whatever something and let them experience what AI can do for them and get their ideas thinking. But I really would block time for it and I would put it on agenda. It needs to be part mm -hmm. of the internal comms strategy. I think that is very, yeah. very important. Uh, otherwise, you, you're just missing out a lot of opportunity in this. I agree. I agree. I mean, you said we should look at the opportunities, and I totally agree, but are there any downsides or things we should be aware of when we look at AI and internal communications? For, for sure. We still need to be aware. Most of the data um, that is being sent um, to those language models are being reused to improve those learning models. So um, we need to be careful what do we use it for and maybe um, depersonalize content before um, we use it in highly confidential topics um, and so on. And 
um, at, at, at the same time, um, it's, it, it also creates more pressure for the internal comps teams. Um, maybe in the past, you would have hired two new more communicators. Um, maybe in the past, it's just one um, because you can get much more efficient. And this, this is why we need also the data part of the AI um, to be there to show the value that internal comms is bringing really to the people, to the company, to the organization, and why it's so valuable. And to, in these days, with the shortage of labor, and everyone wants to have a really engaged workforce, and it's it's yeah. very important for them because attrition um, and, and employee retention is such important big topic, and it's really business critical. So there's no way to talk around that internal comms is, is so important anymore. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So it's really important right now. Yeah. Um, you mentioned data protection. It's quite yeah. an interesting one because um, let's say I need to lay off 10 people in my organization. And that's, you know, that's a challenge many companies face this year, unfortunately. Yeah. But you would normally use your internal communications channels. But if it is linked to AI, there seems to be a risk that that information will be fed back into the model and sort of keep training the model. And then you don't know where that will end up and essentially was an internal message that has gone to the outside world and I'm not in control anymore. What can we do to mitigate that risk? Um, so make make sure you don't have private data in there. So like a general message, like a, a proper written layer of message to inform that the, the structural change in the organization is like it happens on a daily basis in all organizations over the world. So this post alone is not a problem to, to get this optimized, to get some RCI, what still can be improved and so on. Um, but where you have to be careful is with putting names of people. Um, so everything private, um, you really should stay out of that. It depends on the service. Um, to be also to be honest, um, there's all sorts of services. There's uh, the typical ones you know is like ChatGPT, but there's also um, from US from OpenAI, but there's also services from Microsoft, or there's also services from um, Aleph Alpha, you know, mm-hmm. Jonas Andrulis. And like it, it depends a bit. You have to look um, what kind of services are you you're using in, in in the backend, and then optimize. Um, you also you like yeah. arrange your strategy, uh, AI strategy to that, and what can you do and what you can't you do, and also like on the private data privacy agreements you have um, with those services or your provider that is using those large language models has with those services. And uh, yeah, we try to be there in the forefront. Yeah, interesting. I guess the message is uh, don't be naive, but be very aware of where your data goes. And if in doubt, uh, you know, keep it private and and don't share it. Uh, Interesting. Now looking ahead, what do you expect in terms of AI and internal communications over the next few years? I know it's a bit of a crystal ball question because developments are, you know, go so fast, but you probably have to have, have a good working hypothesis. Um, I, I think that AI is going to enable your employees and your, your really good voices inside the company already. Those people that speak up, those internal influencers, this is, AI is going to enable them to be more outgoing, to create more content, to be more reachable, and also to, like just to produce more and give more insights on what they're doing. And um, this like will help you inside the company with morale, but also on having role models inside the company. But this like changes a bit the role of internal comms, in my opinion, in the future, because like it's easier to, to create good content. Um, and with that, everyone. Uh, most people can become an influencer, can become a content creator. And with that, it puts the role of internal comms more as as a manager of those voices, more as an enforcer of those voices. And so maybe not in the future, um, you as a comms person write less content. Um, Maybe you let people more write content themselves and more steer it in the right direction and become more a manager um, of like the original voices. And I think this is a really, I think if that really would happen, I think that would be a really good trend um, because it gives power, it gives power to the internal people and to the influencers and it's very authentic and people love authenticity. Um, so I think this is really, this is going to be one force in telecoms that is really going to come now. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, it's great for employer branding as well, because that's where, you know, 
that's how I find out about who's a good employer or not. Uh, if the employee is actually willing to speak out on a regular basis about what they experience and maybe also the ups and downs that exist everywhere, that, as you say, is very authentic and very persuasive for me to maybe look at that as a potential employer. And it's interesting, you're totally right. I mean, this idea of the corporate influencer or corporate ambassador, and these are not great terms, but you know, th those are commonly used it's been around for a while, but it hasn't really happened because I think on the one hand, you have to find people who are willing to put that put in that extra mileage of um, producing content. But also there's this idea of still controlling, you know, exercising control in many businesses of, oh, we can't let everyone speak about the business that knows what will happen. And AI could actually facilitate the development of corporate ambassadors and get that right. And the internal communications person is more of an, uh, yeah, as I said, it's, it's a conductor rather than, the writer of materials wonderful for sure and this is like this 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 conductor perspective i think mean, this is this is the important the important perspective here um and also it is it, like steering the whole concept driving it forward but also letting letting like corporate influences also um, speaking out on, on, on certain topics and enforcing this even more and even more and this like and then with that you you will you will see really good results on employer branding um you'll see really good results on ri and retention and all those things yeah amazing benedict thank you so much that's really really insightful i really appreciate your time thank you thank you much oliver really enjoyed it our last guests are jasmin meilner and maximilian neukirchner they're the founders and co-ceos of my Recruity. The experts on social recruiting and the use of AI in recruiting. Yasmeet, Max, thank you. Um, I'm really curious to hear from you um, about AI and recruitment because I'm hearing from a lot of people that AI holds real potential for recruitment, but then I also think that recruitment is kind of a human-to-human -human connection and interaction. So what's your view on it? In my opinion, it's super important to focus on the skills of your company, of course, to, to look for the values. Like... Ask the question, why? The most important part in recruiting is the candidate experience. And to maximize it, you absolutely need the human connection. You can't attract the best talents for your team without convincing them emotionally. Mm -hmm. For example, chatbots in recruiting. They sound extremely practical, providing timely responses and supporting candidates during the application process. But studies show that this actually decreases the engagement of applicants. We all know and we all can feel it. So our opinion is AI in the application process, hell yes, to make work easier and to keep up with the trends. But when it comes down to the personal aspect, I would be cautious. How would you feel if a candidate apply with an AI, <laughs> if you're not talking to the actual candidate? Yeah, I, th I think it is important to be transparent, right? So if it's a chatbot and it's called a chatbot, I know it's not a real person, but maybe for quick questions, say, okay, what's the deadline for the application? What's, you know, what's your salary expectation? So that the kind of questions I want to have a quick answer to, um, I, I totally get that. And I, I, I was slightly puzzled to hear that AI is being used to assess um, candidates psychologically, maybe. And I think that there are some interesting ethical questions, right? Is it something that is transparently done or is it something that's just being done in the background i don't know if you have any information on this but i think this is where a lot of people would uh, you know question if that is if that is the right way to use ai i think actually in the last few months we've seen many many uh, things and what you oliver oliver just said is like um it comes more to the to the surface uh and i think the 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 recruiting process has to be the AI in the recruiting process has to be more in the background uh, because otherwise you give candidates the experience uh, or a worse uh, like a worse candidate experience and that's not the best way to to approach yeah. those candidates yeah I mean I've heard for instance that companies like very large companies they get you know maybe tens of thousands of applications each year that they use AI to do sort of first processing of all these applications, which of course raises the question, what's the algorithm, right? What's it looking for? What are the biases that are potentially baked into that system? I don't know if you have any insights into this, but this is some, you know, something people have started raising eyebrows. Mm. I think I think you have to differentiate between large companies and between the small and middle companies. 
actually large companies like uh, even when you look in the consulting business they the the big four they get thousands of applications they need processes to gift or, or they need processes to take a first look on the CVs to take a first look uh, at the at the applicants and then to process them uh, furthermore uh, manually in the in the in the later stage process but that's one part and the other part is like when you look at small and middle enterprises they don't get that thousands of applications that's that's not what we are seeing i mean we've generated uh, over thousands of 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 applications in the last 12 months but this is this is not the this is not what every company gets and we're a social recruiting company so th that's our biz that's kind of our business to generate those applications for our clients by using ai and um but what most companies are missing is the, the the touch kind of the touch of the human connection so how do you do that so you use ai to find potential candidates and that's what the term social recruitment reflects is that correct mm, that's correct that's correct yeah and that's that's great because that's that's shows us what the opportunities are there right so their risks and their biases okay we need to be mindful of those and they're probably for the very large companies to um potentially work through but most companies you're right they don't get tens of thousands of applications they're looking for people and they need better ways to find people because the market is you know there isn't a lot of talent on the market so how, how does it work? I mean, walk us through it. How does uh, social recruiting work? Yeah. I mean, so social recruiting is kind of the most effective way of reaching people where they spend a lot of their time. And that's on social media platforms, either at home or at work. So why do we do it? Um, our mission is to generate the most qualitative application through ads in social media and to give the decision makers the possibility back to continue doing what they're good at and why they were hired. Mm -hmm. it's easy as that to find the perfect fit yeah. for the company and you do that via linkedin or online or mm, we do that on on kind of all social media platforms like linkedin tiktok facebook and instagram mm -hmm. honestly meta is is perfect for that because meta has the so facebook and instagram yeah. has the, the the biggest market shares but interesting is what we've discovered while scaling up our company um is that and Yasmin already covered some recruiting possibility through AI, but um, what we've seen generally is that they have ho that they all have one issue in common, and that's the massive lack of human connection. Hmm. That's very interesting, and it's interesting that you say this as an AI-driven company. So I wonder, okay, if I'm, I'm I'm just a normal company or a company out there looking for X number of people this year, how should I use AI, and what's the best combination of AI and human connection? That's a very good question. I think, first of all, you should not forget about your company values. Because what we have seen and what we have discovered for like upcoming trends for 2024 is that mistake number one will be the transfer of wrong information. You always have to look at the why behind your company. In sales, for example, experts say people don't buy what you're doing. They buy why you do it. And, and exactly the same works for the employees. They need to see the reason behind their work, behind the company. If you transfer wrong information during the recruiting process or within the employer branding campaigns, for example, employees will never feel attached to their workplace and they will mm. feel fooled. Interesting. And how do I do that with AI? How do I inject my values into an AI-driven recruitment process that we will see more and more? Mm. I think I think you can use AI in in multiple ways. Uh, first of all, I hope everybody knows ChatGPT. I think it's it's state of the art right now. So, kind of all texts get written by ChatGPT. That's n nothing special anymore. Um, and for us, that's not the the what we call it the use of AI. For us, it's like state of the art. We use it all day. We use it for every text. And um, I think when it comes to AI. 
it's quite interesting because uh, almost every uh, advertisement platforms like Meta, LinkedIn, etc., they all have a AI in the background. So mm. the AI in the in the background uses all the data that um, it has from the specific users, and then it it gives them the the best fitting ads like uh, at the time where they want to see it, where the AI says that they're going to convert most likely to it. And that's the, in social recruiting especially, the the biggest touch point with AI. Talking about social recruiting, it comes more uh, with the expertise and not uh, with the question, how we're going to use AI, how we can implement AI most effectively. Because using AI is the best way to automize processes, to make processes more easily and not to try to push it into the recruiting process. Yeah, interesting. So use AI where it helps you, but not to replace the human connection. I think that I agree. I think there would be a folly because um, candidates want that personal human to human touch from companies. And I think they make that part of your decision as well. And it's not just that companies decide who they recruit. I mean, it's a, it's a two way street, right? So the, those who are being approached need to feel that this is a company I actually want to spend the next few years of my life in. So that makes a lot of sense. What does all, all that mean for employer branding, though, I wonder? Yeah, employer branding is a big topic. And there are also a lot of changes coming up in the next few years, or especially in 2024. One out of them is the overload of information for potential candidates. Like with that, through AI to target communication and recruiting is simplified. And that's good, don't get me wrong. But the question is, what are the consequences for that? It will get easier to reach out to the target group. But just keep in mind, it would also get easier for the competitors. Mm. And with that the employer value proposition will increasingly become crucial to stand out from competitors. So to keep it short, easier communication, but also harder to differentiate. This is yeah. this is one huge trend. Yeah, I can see that across all disciplines of communication. So that makes a lot of sense. An employer value proposition, I mean, it's just a way of how would you answer the question why should I work for you? What do you say as a company? And that should obviously inform everything you do in employer branding. That's super interesting. Any any other trends you're seeing? Yes, we have also um, recognized that video recruiting is also a big number in the next upcoming years. As AI increasingly creates gen- generic outreach messages, as Max already told you, personalizing your communication will become also more crucial. Video has already been number one of the most effective communication or marketing content methods in 2023, and it will be even more important in the future. Mm. What does, okay, um, I'm trying to picture it. Does it mean that the CEO records a video and says, come work for us, and that's used on social? Is, <laughs> is that what we're talking about? Yeah, that could be. That's actually a good way. Like. Everybody can, and also AI is is able to to create a creative, to to put on a, f- a Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn ad, but AI is not able to record a video from the CEO of the company and speaks like it. At least not until now. So that's why you have to personalize your outreach. You have to personalize your your marketing, your employer brand to stay aligned and to 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 compete with yeah. your competitors. Do, do you have an example for a company that uses video in recruitment and successful? I have seen a lot of companies which are increasing their sales due to that um, and also their employer brand due to that in the startup and scale-up um, sector, of course, and also more and more in the recruiting or in general the people and culture brush. So, for example, um, we have a partnership with uh, a company which is making fairs, recruiting fairs. The next one is in April. And they are using a lot of video recruiting, video marketing to reach out to their employees, to their future candidates, to future people like working for the company and also to to build up, to grow sales. So it works both ways. And also like what we do in social recruiting, in the first step, we help companies to generate candidates for, uh, for vacancies. 
for jobs. But at the second level, we help them generate or build up or invest in their employer brand. So it's both ways. Mm. Interesting. And I think what's what's quite interesting is that um, we analyze in monthly intervals our overall advertisement data. So video recruiting is actually one part of our business. And what we've seen is a huge increase in the conversion rates of individualized video ads, as well as a drop in the conversion rates of photo-only ads. And undoubtedly, the reason for that is easy. Um, actually, text as well as photo content uh, can be generated quickly and easily, but videos can't. And the market gets flooded by content that's good, but generic generated. Like you, Oliver, pointed it out in one of your last episodes, this type of content becomes boring, although content-wise yeah. it has a high yeah. quality. Interesting. And um, where we don't see video is LinkedIn. I think Link LinkedIn has made a decision it's not a video platform. Uh, because most people see it in the office and it should look legit. It's coming though. Yeah. Yes, it's coming. Mm. Be because we've seen in uh, LinkedIn had a push for video a few years ago, like two, three years ago. And uh, currently the engagement is very poor. People say it's, um, you know, a tenth of what it could be if it, if it weren't video. So, but of course the algorithm is constantly changing. So who knows? Cool. Well, thank you so much. Um, that's that's been really, really helpful. Um, Jasmine, Max, thank you so much. And my recruity, I think you're on a great journey. I think we will hear much more about you and social recruitment. And thanks for enlightening me because I was very unaware of the whole um, use of AI in recruitment. So this is this is very helpful for me. Thank you. Thank you, Oliver. Thank you, Oliver. Before we close, one quick question for me. Would you like to receive weekly tips from me on how the top one percent of CEOs communicate? If so, subscribe to the Speak Like a CEO newsletter. It is highly actionable and provides a ton of insights that you can immediately apply to your own career or business. The link is in the show notes.